0: So I would like to welcome all of you to this brand new series that now you've seen a couple times is called Chasing Carrots. And I'd also like to welcome all of you who are watching this message and this series online from literally across the country. Welcome and I pray that this is a blessing to you as well. So I recognize that this is probably one of the weirdest names of a sermon series that we've had here at North Cross, and that was the idea. Um, I saw a church had a series using the same title, and I thought, you know what, that sparks a little bit of interest and curiosity. So let me tell you what this series is all about. This is a series that we're going to be exhausting. The endless, tireless, unending pursuit that people have for finding significance, fulfillment, and joy. At the heart of this series is answering the question, how is it in my life that I'm going to find happiness and joy in my life? And as I I watched that wheel turn from that hamster wheel, it made me think of a scene from a movie a while back that never won an Oscar, but it should have. It's a classic movie for anyone of my generation, which is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Bueller? Bueller? Um, So there's this scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where Cameron and Sloan and Ferris decide to borrow Cameron's dad's 1961 Ferrari and to drive it down to downtown Chicago. And as they're down there, um, they end up parking the car. And the parking attendant, some of you might remember this, instead of parking it In the parking garage, he takes it on like this epic joyride all across Chicago. And later in the day, when Cameron has a chance to actually look at the odometer after picking up the car from the parking garage, he notices how many miles are on the car. And he starts freaking out because he knows that his dad loves that 1961 Ferrari and that he's gonna absolutely kill him when he sees how many miles are on there. So they had this great brainstorm of an idea. Here's what they were gonna do and what they did. They took the car, they put it in in Cameron's garage, they jacked up the back tires because it's rear-wheel drive, they turned the car on and put it in reverse because everyone knows that when you put the car in reverse, it'll take the miles off of the odometer. This is a great way to sell your car and have less miles on it. The only thing is that that doesn't work at all. It doesn't work. And so at the end of the scene, what happens actually is that the car kind of falls off the jack, speeds through the back wall of the garage, and is uh, totally destroyed. But the reason why I was thinking about that was this, that there was a whole lot of energy and gasoline put into trying to solve the problem of the odometer, the only problem is as much gasoline and energy that was put into the plan, the plan was never in the first place able to accomplish that which they desired, namely to have less miles on the odometer. They're pursuing their goal in a way that will never work like running in a hamster wheel, trying to get a carrot that's in front of you, but you're never going to get any closer because you're in a hamster wheel. Let me ask a question. Raise your hand if you'd like to be happy in life. Raise your hand. Okay. So the rest of you either have a phobia of raising your hand in church, (laughs) or you didn't hear the question. Cindy's raising her hand. Good, she heard the question. So the truth of the matter is that irregardless of your age, um, your ethnicity, your gender, um, your religion, all people have this desire to be happy. In fact, if there is someone you know that actually seriously does not want to be happy but would rather be truthfully miserable for their entire life, we respond to that mentally like there's something wrong with that person. Because wanting to be happy is something that we all desire. Something that we all want. And yet, statistics tell us that as a country, we're becoming less and less happy over the last 20 and 30 years. And think about that for a moment. We're becoming less happy as a people while at the same time, we live in one of the greatest, most prosperous countries in the history of the world. Here's what this tells me. It tells me that we have a country of people Who all of the time, or for some of us, just some of the time, are searching for joy and purpose in ways that will never accomplish it. We're like a bunch of hamsters in a hamster wheel, chasing after the carrot, but never able to get there. We're like a 1961 Ferrari in Backwards, but never able to accomplish the purpose that we have in our hearts and for our lives. Which leads us to our first fill-in for this series Arriving in a different destination requires traveling sometimes in a different direction. Here's what I mean. If you're pursuing happy and joy in the same way that everyone else around you is pursuing it, and they're not happy or joyful most of the time, what do you think is going to be the result for you? It's going to be exactly the same. But if you want to get to a different destination, if you want to have a different result, sometimes it requires, all the time it requires traveling in a different direction, having a different focus, thinking about things differently, having a different purpose. And that's what this series is all about. For five weeks, we want to unpack happy. We want to unpack joy. And today's message sets the foundation for everything else you'll hear in the next coming weeks. So... We're going to turn to a letter that a man in the first century wrote. His name was Peter. He happened to be one of Jesus' best friends, closest friends. He also happened to be with Jesus every single day for three years. And not only that, but Peter also happens to be someone who wrote a few of the letters that you'll find in the library called the Bible. And um, his first letter that he wrote has this very creative name, almost as creative as Chasing Carrots. It's called First Peter. Um, so not so creative, but really, really good. And before we get to the verses, I think always context is important to really understand the, the meaning behind um, the words of the Bible. And so I want to give you context by starting with the very first Verse of this letter in which he addresses the people that he's writing to. Here's what he writes He writes to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So these highlighted words are all names of provinces that are in what is today Turkey. So it's on the northeast part of the Mediterranean Sea. So that's where they were. But look also what he calls them. He calls them a couple things, but I want to focus on this second word. He calls them exiles. An exile is someone who has been forced out of their home. It's a refugee. The the Greek meaning behind exile, exile is scattered people. You've heard us talk about this a lot at North Cross, but it's so important because it helps you understand most of the New Testament that the hardest time in history to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus was the first century. Because the Roman government wanted to extinguish this small group of Jesus followers, and they did everything in their power to do that. And tens of thousands of Christians were fed the lions and burned at the stake and killed and families scattered. And some Some of these Christ followers, instead of denying their faith but also not wanting to be killed, they ended up having to flee, leaving what they knew, leaving their homes, leaving everything that was familiar with them to go and live in a new place where they had nothing and knew no one and had to start new culture and a new home and new customs. Doesn't sound like a great recipe for happy, does it? So were these people happy? Well, let's skip ahead to verse 6. Here's what it says. You, he's pointing something out about them. You exiles, you greatly rejoice. Even though, because it's weird that you're happy. You greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We, we talked about what all that, that grief was. But, what, Paul is, what Peter is pointing out is that these Christians were able to find joy even in the midst of circumstances that were really horrible. And in fact, to help us better understand the, the realness of true joy and happy, there's something very interesting that's pointed out in these two um, yellow highlighted words. In the Greek, These are both present tense, which doesn't mean anything to you, but I'll tell you why it's important. What it's saying is, present tense, that these Christians are in great joy continuously, while they're also in great grief continuously. That at the same time that they are greatly rejoicing, They are experiencing circumstances that would seem to cause great sadness and grief, that they're actually experiencing both at the same time. Great joy, even in the midst of great grief, continuously. Now, this is really important to put your mind around, because it's different than what we think. Most of the time we think it's either one or the other. And most people cannot ever find happy because their version of happy, next slide, their version of happy is a feeling based on ideal circumstances or at least ideal circumstances for them. Now, I am not saying at any point in this series, I want you to hear me, that life's circumstances should not affect how you feel. I would be lying to you if, that, if I said that shouldn't be the case because it will, it does. When someone you love or you has a really difficult diagnosis health-wise or when a, a marriage breaks up or when children, you know, leave or flee or whatever it is, all those things, when those things happen, we're going to feel something. Circumstances do matter. But so many people are trying to find true happiness and true joy only based on ideal circumstances, and the thing is, that's never going to work. H- have you ever met some? Have you ever met the "I'll be happy when" guy? So it's like the guy who's going through high school. And he doesn't like to, you know, let's say, have directions from parents. And so he's like, I'll be happy when I get to college and I can make more choices. And then he gets to college and he's like, man, I'm sick of going to school. I I want a job. And so it's like, I'll be happy when I get out of school and get a job. And then he gets his first job or she gets her first job. And it's not the job that she ultimately wanted. And she's like, I'll be happy when I get the real job. And then they get the real job and... They're not married and they're looking for a relationship. And I'll be happy when I get married and I'll be happy when I have kids and I'll be happy when I don't have kids anymore and and on and on and on, right? Let me tell you this. There's no ideal time to have a baby. There's no ideal time to be happy. Here's what Jesus said. It's a promise and a statement. John 16, he said this. In this world, you're going to have trouble all the time, in varying degrees, but it's a promise, it's a statement. And the reason why Jesus knew this would be true is because God's God's plan for happiness all the time, God's plan for a perfect world kind of was destroyed, not kinda, it was destroyed in the Garden of Eden when sin came into the world. And then, I don't know about for you, I can guess, but for me, I've also got sin in me. And so sometimes I contribute to the grief and trouble because of choices that I make or attitudes that I have that cause there to be less happy circumstantially than what I would like in my life. Jesus' statement could not be truer. And you need to recognize this. And it won't change this side of heaven. In fact, um, one pastor put it this way. He said, we aren't all going through the same thing, but we're all going through something. As I, I look around, I see people, and I know some of what you're going through, and um, we're not all going through the same thing, but all of us are going through something. Um, There's certain challenges and Difficulties and trials that are sort of part of every season of life. You know, think about what are the trials of twenty-somethings. I, I think for twenty-somethings, sometimes it's uh, school loans. Does that ever uh, await on you? Maybe still is. Um, maybe it's uh, in their later twenties, experiencing what marriage is like for the very first time and how it seemed so much easier when we were dating and now we're living together as a married and it's it's hard. Um, Maybe it's um, not being satisfied with your first job. Um, there, there's unique troubles for 30-somethings, and, and maybe even going into the low 40s. Um, the trouble of having kids that have something every single night, and there's only two parents, and there's five places to be. And the stress that that can levy. I mean, we love it, but it's hard. It's a trial. It's difficult. Um... It's the beginning to see in the 30s and 40s of the trajectory of your life. You pretty much know where life is going to go for the most part. And for some of us, we don't love it. So what do you do with that? Or maybe if you're a single person in your 30s or 40s, it's like, most of my friends are married now. Am I ever going to find someone? And those are unique to 30 and 40-somethings in a lot of ways. And then there's unique troubles. The 70-year-old and 80-year-old says, health is not what it is used to be, and you don't feel as good as you used to, and you don't have the energy for the things that you used to to love and to do. And and I found in 70s and 80-year-olds that they really struggle with sometimes a lack of purpose or a feeling of loneliness, which is complicated by the fact that a lot of the people they loved and did life together with are starting to die and go to heaven, and they're happy about that, but they miss them, you know? Every season has trouble. If you're waiting to grow out of trial, it's not going to happen. There's troubles with being poor, and there's trials with being wealthy. There's trials with being married, and there's trials with being single. There's trials that come along with success, and there's troubles that come along with failure. And some of you are thinking, I'd like to trade some of my troubles in for the wealthy and married kind, okay? Because I don't like being single and broke. I get it, but there's still trials. And there's still difficulties. And life is not easy. And the truth of the matter is our next fill in that joy based on earthly circumstances will not last. You see, earthly circumstances can bring this real quick and varying degrees of length, time of joy and happiness it's surface level joy like you finally had a chance to get the car you always wanted and it's awesome and talk to me in two years when there's scratches on it from the kids and the back is trashed from lunch two months ago or weeks ago or whatever it is right um Or sometimes we find um, quick shots like a a baby or getting a new car or a a medium skim latte with a half a shot of vanilla, you know, whatever it is. Like, I'm not saying these things don't bring joy. I'm saying they're temporal. I'm saying they're quick. I'm saying they're temporary. And if our joy, if our happy is based on what our kids are doing or not doing or or what we're doing at work or not doing, on these quick, short, Bursts of happy, what's going to happen is through life you're going to have emotional whiplash. Because life is a roller coaster. And sometimes things are going the way you want and would prefer, and many times it is not. Joy based on earthly circumstance will not last. Um, here's something else that I think I need to point out when it comes to setting a foundation to this series. A lot of times, the things that we think are joy are just mirages. That sometimes we get sucked into things that aren't truly joy. Um, I came across this quote from uh, comedian Robin Williams uh, this past week. Um, remember, uh, only the really old people, including me, Mork from York, or Ork. I said York, it's Ork, I think. Anyway, Mork and Mindy. He wrote, Mrs. Doubtfire, anyone? Maybe that's, that's better. I think the saddest people always try the hardest to make, other, make people happy because they want to know what it's like to feel absolutely, because they know what it's like to feel absolutely worthless, and they don't want anyone else to feel like that. I mean, If you ever watched Robin Williams on YouTube or live or whatever it was, um, I mean, just hilarious. He seemed like the happiest guy in all the world. It seemed like he had the feeling of joy, and yet most of you know Robin Williams' life story, right? (laughs) We're deceived by what appears to be joy all the time, but it's always often surface level, or maybe even worse, it's not joy at all. Um, Here's a picture that um, was taken of our family uh, when we were on a trip to Arizona a few months ago. This is on the top of South Mountain. looking out over the horizon uh, and the Phoenix metro area. And as some of you look at this picture, uh, you think, man, what an awesome family, how idyllic, how peaceful. Um, Let me tell you the rest of the story on this picture. So so when we got to this little hut, stone hut on the top of South Mountain, there was another family taking pictures right in that opening. And we had been hiking for a while, and we're tired. And they're taking longer than what it should take for a family to take pictures. And we're trying to keep the kids together, or at least excited or enthused to take a family picture. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then we get them all onto the whole family onto the ledge. And the first pictures we took were facing the camera. And then they thought they were done. No, that wasn't the case because I think it was me had the idea, why don't we turn around and have a picture taken from behind? Well, by that time, let's just put it this way. It was way more idyllic in the picture than what the backstory is to the actual having taken the picture. And I'm guessing we're the only family that has ever put out a picture where there wasn't a backstory like that. Because a lot of times what we see or perceive as happy isn't really happy and yet for whatever reason we feel like we want what it seems like everyone else has but real joy it's due to something deeper more foundational than the circumstances of your day or your year let's go back to to Peter's writing, there's a Three words that I didn't include when we read this verse the first time. It starts out this way In all of this you greatly rejoice. Peter is writing with those three words that there is something that is the object to their rejoicing. There's something that's the object, the key to their joy. And in all of this, he's referring to what occurred before in what he talked about in the verses leading up to this verse. Are you curious now? Okay, let's go to verse 3. He wrote this. Praise, joy, have joy, have praising to The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is at the center of foundational, real, unending, true, non-rollercoaster ride joy. Why? It continues. Because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That the greatest gift you've ever been given is that through Jesus, you've been given a brand new life as a child of God, which means that you have a brand new future in heaven forever. And that changes everything. And I know for some of us, this is something we've heard a lot. You've heard me talk about this. You've heard Matt talk about this. You've probably read these verses before. So let me make it real for you because it has to affect us. It needs to. There's no other way. Um, On the picture or on the screen here, I have a picture of a family in our congregation. Um, Their name are the Goldbergs. And um, this coming a week from today, next Sunday, is the 10-year anniversary of the beautiful little girl in the front, Abby, being adopted into the Goldberg family. Ten years ago, next week, the Goldberg family was in China. They went to the orphanage that uh, little Abby was at with what Melissa estimates is over 100 kids or so, and they gave her a brand new life. And without going into all of the details, let's just say this, that her future and her present are significantly better because the Goldberg family gave her new life. Now, I talked with Abby a little bit, um, and I asked her if she's ever had a sad day since then. Guess what she said? Yes. I've asked her, Did you ever have your feelings hurt in your life? Yeah. I asked her, has she ever been frustrated or challenged or having difficulty? She said, she said yes. But you see, with little Abby, when you think about what happened to her and what could have been, from the outside looking in, You and I both know, even though we wouldn't say it this way to Abby, you and I both know that's small potatoes compared to what could have been. A sad day or a friend that disappoints her, not a big deal when her entire future has changed. My friends, you've been adopted by Christ into a brand new family with a brand new future, and everything has changed for you. And sometimes we forget it when we're in it. But from the outside looking in, I need you to know that there is no better foundational gift that stands up to the ups and downs of circumstances of life than the reality of who you are because of what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross. You are a part of God's family. You have a future that is bright, even if you have a health diagnosis that is not and if we're not feeling happy sometimes maybe we just need to sit in the lap of our heavenly father a little bit more here's what peter continues with it says in his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and to into because we're part of his family an inheritance that is heaven that can never perish never spoil never fade it cannot be taken away verse 5 This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are also, even right now, shielded. Shielded by God's power. When we stay close to the gospel, God promises that he is going to shield and protect us as we stay close to him through the gospel until the coming day of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's the thing about lasting joy. Fill in number three. Lasting joy is going to be a byproduct of something deeper than just circumstance. Lasting joy is deeper than a smiling picture. Lasting joy is deeper than the best job or the worst. Lasting joy is deeper than a perfect vacation or even, and some of you are blessed, an awesome spouse. It's not avoiding sadness, lasting joy. You're going to have it. It's not never crying. If a pastor told you that you should just be really happy at every funeral, he's wrong because Jesus wasn't happy at every funeral. Christians who have joy can be just like the ones that Peter wrote to that are in the midst of great grief, but having great joy at the very same time. But the joy always wins out. And here's an aside. What I've found is that people better grasp the depths of the joy they can have in Jesus when they've gone through the worst of trials this life has to offer. That it's when there's nothing left to grab onto or to hook your wagon to because all of it has been taken away. And when Jesus is the only thing that remains that we truly understand the type of joy that will never leave us and that we can always have. So what's the application for today? I want to point something out. Um, there can be a real pressure in 21st century America to feel joy all the time and to focus on finding happiness. In fact, sometimes we even put up signs that say, choose joy. And It can be taken in the right way. (laughs) But um, my grandpa is in his mid-90s, very different generation, the builder generation, the way they call it, the the greatest greatest generation, I think, or something like that. And and I would say that about my grandpa. He's just an awesome guy, World War II vet. I've never ever in all my life, 40-plus years, heard him say, I'm trying to look for happy. I'm not feeling happy. Like, that wasn't a thing back then, was it? Not like it is today. And, and I'm not saying that we're wrong to wanting to find the joy in life. I totally get that. I'm just saying, could it be that it's our focus too much? That we're looking for temporal things, this is the problem, to give us joy and to give us happiness. We're looking around, all over, for the happy we feel and we think everyone has. And my encouragement to you, your application is this, number four, when you are tempted to look around, look up. Look up even when you're tempted to look around. That's what the Christians that Peter wrote to did, back to that verse, verse six, our key verse for today. He said, in all of this All of that new birth, that new life, that inheritance, look up because that's how they were rejoicing even in the midst of great grief. If you're not feeling happy, ask yourself, what have I been focusing on? Is it success? Is it wealth? Is it the easy life? Is it comfort? Is it the perfect family or the perfect marriage? And a lot of times in those things, you'll find false gods that you have prompted higher than what they should be. Good things prompted to ultimate things. If you want to find happiness, it often happens by focusing on it less because it's a byproduct of something greater. Someone once said, when you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. When you aim at earth, you get nothing. Focus on Jesus. Focus on him. Don't look around. I mean don't Yeah, don't look around. Look up. And we'll come back next week for part 2. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for giving us the blessing of being able to have true, foundational, unwavering joy. And I know this is a it's a tough message, and, and I hope I, I, I dressed it delicately like you do, that we're not going to have perfect days, and sometimes we're not going to feel... Oh, well, we're going to feel awake now. Um, we're not going to feel the feeling of happy all the time, but there can be a foundational joy that we can always experience because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I would pray that this be a room filled with people that are happier, that are more joy-filled because they understand where their joy comes from. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.